Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. And welcome back to the podcast. Uh, really excited to have you tune in again. We've got some, some awesome stuff to chat with you about on the business side of healthcare. It's a pleasure to host uh, Ron Barship. He's the CEO and founder of Beacon Clinics. Ron's a seasoned business executive with a track record of company growth and business success. Beacon Clinics is a premier provider of ancillary allergy immunotherapy services for primary care practices. They bring a complete and integrated solution for primary care physicians focused on allergy outcomes, patient volume, and patient safety protocols. Uh, Ron's had a, a tremendous amount of success in, in healthcare business and also other, other businesses. So it's important that we tune into the business side of things to know how, how things are going, because as we've discussed in the past, it's patients, it's our people, but it's also the business models because with no margin, there is no mission. So it's a pleasure to, to welcome Ron to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Ron, did I miss anything in your intro that you want to fill in? Well, it's hard to put in the intro that I was drawn to healthcare when I was uh, nine or 10 years old. I had a microscope, loved my biology uh, books that I got way ahead of high school, uh, dissected every frog within a mile of my house. Uh, <laughs> had a, I just loved for sure. Sur- I thought I was going to be a surgeon when I grew up. And then I attended a surgery at a young age. When I smelled cauterized flesh, I passed out for the first of three times in the next wow. hour. And so my surgical career was over before it ever got started. But uh, oh man, have a couple of sons in healthcare, and I'm I'm now coming at the back door through the business world. Love it, man! I love it. Uh, great story, and uh, it's definitely an experience when you're in that surgery for the first time. It's definitely not for all, but you, it sounds like you 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 really kind of uh, have lived it through your sons now, but now through the back door with your business experience are, are back in. So so. Glad you're here. What is it that got you into the medical sector? Well, I, I started an angel network. We were the first. Texas Capital Network was the first angel network outside of Silicon Valley back in the day before the dot-com boom. Mm-hmm. And we turned it basically a broken nonprofit into a highly successful one. The whole world beat a path to our door to figure it out. And one of the guys I met in that was a life sciences guy. He was a chiropractor. He was doing very well making about 10 times what the average makes in Texas. Mm-hmm. And his doctor that hosted him was making about five times what a typical internal medicine doc makes. And that's where I first got introduced to ancillary income services, although we didn't really have a name for it back then because it was so new. But he introduced me to a great business. I said, let's scale this model. I'll teach you how to do that if you run the boot camp here. Doctor and he agreed. And we built a very nice business. That's my introduction about 10 years ago into healthcare ancillaries. The problem with that is the business model was relying on the kindness of strangers. And like all human beings, doctors can get greedy when their checks start averaging 10, 20, 60,000 a month. And so they started challenging me with arbitration and I, I want them all, but it's just, it's not fun to be hanging out with lawyers. They're in Texas are like crocodiles. They can be shot on site now without a permit. But <laughs> there's so many of them, but they were, they used to be rare. But the, uh, I just didn't like hanging out with lawyers, so I created a new, or I went to a lawyer and found a new model that is currently the Beacon model. 
Well, that's really interesting. And as much as, as uh, people may not want to talk about this, you know, there, there is a business side to healthcare. And if we ignore it, we are not going to be successful. And let's face it, you know, some of the biggest challenges in healthcare are reimbursement and, you know, what is value-based care? How are we going to do it? It's a challenge. And so it's great that you're bringing these points up and I'm happy to talk about them and I'm glad you are too, Ron. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there's a few simple fixes in healthcare. Primary care is my focus and my priority because mm-hmm. that's where the greatest pain is. And it's also where the greatest opportunity is because there's more primary care providers than there are all the rest of the specialists combined. We have a huge number of people that are forced into corporate medicine people that are forced into direct primary care, although that's a great model for the wealthy and affluent neighborhoods, it doesn't work for the other 95% of us. They're forced into quitting, and we have a double the suicide rate of even the veterans in America for for primary care physicians. We have over 55% are burned out. It's the the top four out of six categories of professional burnout in America are primary care providers. Nurse practitioners are right behind them. So, I, you know, there's, there's obviously some pain. And I said to myself, there's got to be a simpler solution than what the AMA and what the boarded groups are providing. They're extremely complex and fighting City Hall by trying to get higher reimbursements. And I luckily, and this was really kind of a, a aha moment in my life, I met a guy. And in, in the business world, you can kind of smell money when you walk into a physician's practice. This one smelled like in Fort Knox. And I hung out with the guy and his wife afterwards. <laughs> And I've been down there eight or nine times. There's not an airport in his town. He's rural. Um, that he has take-home pay of a million two in a bad year and two million in a good year. And it's, he's a family doctor. And I said, "What in the heck do you do to get that to achieve that? You're you're essentially the George Washington of primary care. You've invented a new model, and you don't even know it, do you?" And he goes, "Well, it's just." I started in business, went to medical school, and I approached medical school from a perspective of how do I have a good bottom line and do the very best care for patients. And the more I got to know yes. him, the more I realized money is not preempting great care. And his model Agreed. was he had 12 ancillaries. He had a sleep lab. He had a pulmonary function test. He had diabetes t- treatment and obesity treatment, all reinsurance reimbursed. None of it was Latisse or Juvederm or eyelash extensions or all that garbage. That's, again, for the rich. He was taking care of a rural population that, and what he was doing was instead of sending him to a specialist for a workup, he created the talent, the training, and the focus to do it internally. And I realized that's the model of the future. That is really the answer to burnout. If you have take home a four, six, eight hundred, a million dollars as a family doctor, internal medicine doctor, pediatrician, you don't have burnout. You don't have suicide. You don't have pressures of factory medicine and having to see, a, you know, 25, 35, 40 patients in a day. You don't have to work long hours. You can hire people to do that part of the job. So my my mission in life is to scream from the rooftops about ancillaries. And of course, I'm in it. So there's a tiny bit of selfishness, I guess. And I think we happen to have the lowest risk model and the highest outcome model that that I can find in the market. But, you know, without self-promoting, really, the, the important thing is that primary care has the fix in it and its ancillary income solutions like mine and others. There's many like me out there. Well, I think it's a, it's a great message. And, 
there's definitely a, a, a direct tie, folks, between burnout and the finances. You know, the the level of debt that physicians are are coming out into the workforce with, and and then the limited pay that they're getting into, as Ron's calling corporate medicine. Uh, it's definitely uh, a squeeze, and so and so. I definitely think it's a it's a fascinating approach to take, and uh, it's hard though, Ron. A lot, today, with all these systems buying up practices and and really going on unchecked, kind of monopolizing the uh, the care in, in in areas. How do people do it? You know, how do people stay independent? There's a lot of people that are really just. It's a small percentage. How do they do the ancillaries? Is that your question? Yeah, you know, well, well, really, it's 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 you're, who are we speaking to? You know, because the the physicians that are primary care still on their own is maybe smaller percentage. I don't know. I don't know what the percentage is, but definitely thirty eight percent. Yeah, when I when I started in two thousand and nine, it was sixty eight percent were independent. Now it's thirty eight percent, and that if you look at the rate of it's bigger than I thought. Yeah, it's much greater acquisition rate than any time in, in world history in terms of acquiring practices. And this could be larger groups uh, or specialized groups or multi-specialty groups, uh, but it's mostly hospitals that are doing the purchasing. And I don't begrudge hospitals because they're now starting to come to me and say they've got the same problem that it's that independents have, is that they need to create a better EBITDA because they're that's basically how they're judged, quarter to quarter. Yeah. And so if I can help them generate a better EBITDA with zero brain damage, without any risk to their practices, their patients, without a lot of legal uh, snaggles that can tie them up, what we call hair on the deal, uh, they're happy to talk to me. And so really for the first time in my career, the corporations are starting to come to me and ask for help too. And I'm, I'm getting tested. I think we'll expand out into pretty much all their clinics as they see how easy this is. But yeah, it's, it's the, the day of the independent is it's sadly going away. The problem is that independents have not only less burnout and higher job satisfaction, but they have a lot less medical errors. So once you get into this machine, this this grind, you get exhausted. They kick the back of your chair and you got to see more patients. You got to get more volume, got to refer more for sure internally. The cost of care goes up because the cost of the same procedure at a hospital versus a independent. So let me let me just say a hospital-owned clinic versus an independent across the street is four times or two times if it's urgent care, which means that the place of service is becoming more and more important, but it's not transparent to the consumer. It's not been transparent to the employer. And the insurance company right now has not delineated the difference. They're not trying to send people to independents. So if you're looking at just outcomes, cost of care, pretty much any angle you want to look at care, an independent physician is almost always going to give a better product. And I'm going to offend now 68% of people saying that, but that's just the national statistics. I'm not, that's not Ron Barshop's opinion. That's the data. Yeah. And, and by the way, you know, we're, we're having an objective conversation here. You know, we're not throwing anybody under the bus. We're just talking numbers. And, and so let's dive into this a little bit deeper, Ron. How have you and uh, Beacon Clinics, maybe you share a story here, uh, created uh, some some success uh, by doing things differently? Well, the funny thing is I didn't think I was doing anything differently. I started measuring our outcomes day one. So by the time a patient got to their ninth month of treatment, which is about nine, well, nine-twelfths of the way in there, it's a year of treatment, I asked how they're feeling. And we have a 12-step 
questionnaire. So uh, eight particular medical outcomes and then four quality of life outcomes. And I started learning that we have a secret sauce that only 10% of us have. And I didn't realize that then either when we started this. But our secret sauce is that we get basically 100% of our patients heal from allergy versus an 85% number that you see in national national statistics. 100% of our patients start healing from allergy and, and get completely free of allergy. And our, and our secret sauce isn't so secret. 10% of all, all allergists use compounded medications in ISO 5 clean rooms. So they go to, basically, there's only two providers that do that today, Edge Pharmacy and Greer Labs. And pretty much every allergist will be using them because it's so expensive to try to do this in your allergy clinic that it's essentially unaffordable. And the regulation is unattainable. So we use these providers. They make the medications for us. And then we get a higher quality, pure med, I believe. I can't prove that. To my opinion. That's as much, this is 100% my opinion. But why am 100% of my patients getting better and 85% of the national statistics? I don't understand why there should be a difference. And so the, the, the bottom line is what we do that makes us unique is we 100% guarantee our primary care physicians their patients are going to get fully satisfactory outcomes. And you can't really do that in medicine too often today, right? I mean, you can't, the drug compliance right now is, did you know that 6 to 16% of people follow the drug compliance protocols of their doctors? So we can't even yeah, say drugs are successful. Our, our numbers are double that. I wish more than 30% went uh, and finished their shot protocols with the allergy immunotherapy, but why are double that? I, when I go to my patients and ask, why do you keep coming back for these shots? You got to do 30 of these. They say, I'm, I'm, I have hope for the first time. I'm sick of the antihistamine, decongested, steroidal merry-go-round. And you guys give me hope. And I'm, I'm actually feeling substantially better. I'm sleeping better. I'm playing better, working better. All my symptoms are disappearing. So I'm in the hope business. Well, I think it's I think it's neat uh, that you're doing this, and and you know, fascinating approach. We always have to be open to ideas, and and maybe this approach may be something you consider for your practice. If you're if you're a solo practitioner, or if you're a an exec at uh, at the at the, at a prime, you know, at a at a hospital, and you run a primary care division of a of a, an IHN. Maybe something for you to think about. Uh, so give us a, an example of when you failed. Ron, give me an example of a, of a setback. Share a story. What happened? What did you learn? I've, I've got too many to, uh, and you only have 25 minutes. <laughs> but, you know, that I mean, that's really kind of what gets us where we are today is the failures because then it makes the success sweeter. But I, every partnership I've ever had, they disappointed me, or I don't think I disappointed them, but I, you know, that's my ego talking. But I, I had a... My partnerships don't work, and um, I've hired the best of the best, the smartest of the smart, but they disappoint in some way, one way or another. Mm-hmm. So my my darkest periods have always been right after the partnerships break up, and I, my my best friends and, the, and my other fellow CEOs have asked me to change my name middle name legally to Nomo, which means Nomo Partners. <laughs> No more. Now my, my plan is <laughs> I, I just hire that expertise that I thought I needed as a partner and I try to be the dumbest guy in the room. So my, my role is to like surround myself by people a lot smarter than me, but just ask the right questions so we get to the conclusion that we need to. I think that's a, a, a great nugget of wisdom. Uh, you don't necessarily have to partner. Consider hiring the expertise 
uh, I think it's really, really wise. And so Ron, give us a time, uh, or, or maybe one of the things that you're most proud of in your, in your healthcare career. Well, look, you know, when Moses came across the burning bush, the, the rabbis tell us that thousands of people passed that burning bush, but he had a special set of eyes to see it. Somehow I had a special set of eyes to see Dr. Amazing, you know, this, this genius, because he got called on by pretty much every farmer rep, by hundreds of people. They passed him up. None of them sat down and realized he was the George Washington of fixing primary care. He had the answer. And I remember I was, I was riding in a train right after I met this guy mm-hmm. with a cardiologist who was in Upper East Side, Manhattan. And he was making, I said, what do you make a year? You know, we've been hanging out for eight or 10 days. What do you make a year? And he said, a buck two, which is a million two in our cardiology talk, I guess. Uh-huh. And I said, I know a primary care physician who makes two bucks. And he said, well, that's impossible. And I explained to him about the ancillary practice and how serious he was about taking the business of medicine as seriously as the outcomes. And the guy's like vain and his head started vibrating. You know, it was like he was so (laughs) mad. He was so red. He was so enraged that a primary care doctor had sort of cracked the code. So my proudest moment, Saul, is really just discovering this guy that everybody else had passed up. I I'm certainly no Moses, but I, I did have a different set of eyes to recognize him. I love that. Yeah, I, I definitely um, appreciate that. You know, I use the analogy, the same kind of having the set of eyes to see. My wife and I went to Hawaii, Ron, and mm-hmm. we were uh, wanting to see whales and we just, you know, couldn't see them. It was whale season. We got onto this whale tour. The whale guide tells us what to look for. And I kid you not, it was like an hour and a half. We get off and literally we're driving back up on the mountain and we see whales everywhere. <laughs> They're everywhere. That's so funny. And I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, there's the water coming out of the spout. There's a, there's a splash of the fin or the tail or the surface. And we're just like the stuff that we didn't even know to look for, we knew to look for. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, hey, folks, uh, you know, and this is why we do this. I mean, this is why we have this, uh, this podcast. We have guys like Ron and both men and women doing great things in healthcare is, is that you don't know what you don't know. And, and maybe one of these episodes, maybe it's this episode, is going to be that, that first domino to a domino effect of, uh, of excellence in, in outcomes, excellence in, uh, in, in business uh, success, because both of them are important. So, so uh, really, really love that story. Tell us about an exciting project that you're focused on, Ron. Well, really, I, I believe that the ABCs of medicine are overcomplicated. I do a lot of reading on solutions to the problems out there. And the project that I'm most interested in is to get the word out that we should be celebrating the fixes that are already in our system. We, we don't have a broken system. We have a fixed system, but it's on such a minuscule scale. It's like looking under a microscope when I'm nine years old at a piece of tissue. It's just so the world doesn't know it exists. It's just too small. So I believe my mission on earth, besides having three beautiful boys, besides creating a, a nice company that employs a lot of fine people, is to tell to teach the world in some form or fashion how to become a genius like this guy. There's no, there's no shortcut, but there's certainly no reason he's not a he's not that much of a genius. He's just a guy that thought differently. He too had a different set of eyes. So the project I'm working on is to figure out exactly how to put 
a group of primary care physicians together that are all using best practice to into a sharing and caring genius network, a mind share group, and let us all attack this problem as a group with collective thinking instead of from just the perspective of everybody trying to do this by themselves. Well, it is an honorable project and uh, definitely one that uh, I think is uh, is worthwhile of a, of a life mission and, uh, and listeners. Definitely uh, the beauty of podcasting is you could rewind and, and listen to some of the things that maybe you want to re-listen to or or take a note of what you listen to and come back next month if you want to. The content always lives on the site, lives on uh, Apple Podcasts or Google. So always come back because there's definitely some good stuff here being shared by Ron. Ron, it's getting close to the end of the podcast here. Uh, let's pretend you and I are, are building a leadership course on healthcare, the 101 of Ron Barship. And so I've got five questions, lightning round style for you, followed by mm-hmm. a book that you'd recommend to the listeners. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare business outcomes? To learn the ABCs of risk, there's a, you can literally quantify risk of adding in ancillary in my case. Uh, so you can compare ancillaries and see where the pain points could be or where the damage could be or where the downside could be for your practice. So it would be, that would be it. It would be the ABCs of analyzing risk. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Not looking at ancillaries. <laughs> it's the answer. <laughs> it is such an, it's like staring us in the face. It's, an, it's the answer to pretty much, if, if you had to change the matriculation rates, my grandfather, 70% of people chose primary care on my grandfather's day. And my father's day went to, to half that, about 32%. Today, it's 16%. Well, how do we turn that around so that we don't have a giant shortage? What if primary care paid 400000 500000 like a cardiologist, like a plastic surgeon, you know, like a dermatologist? We wouldn't have any shortages. Long answer to your short question, ancillaries. How do you stay relevant despite constant change? I try to avoid reading idiots or recognizing them. There's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that are spouting complicated solutions to simple problems, and I try to take their articles and show the world that there is really a simpler answer than this complicated blueprint for change. What's one area of focus that drives? everything in your organization? Well, for me, it's storytelling. I, it's important that I keep my culture, my, my clients, my patients, my employees, keep the, that all happens through storytelling. So it's, for me, it's boiling down complex into simple and telling it as a story. That's, that's really the focus for me and my practice. So I wanna, I, the best thing for me is get out of the way of all these talented people I've hired and just storytell. Love it. What's your number one success habit? I probably read two to three hours a day, um, and I probably write two or three hours a day. Nice. So unlike most CEOs, I'm not having meetings. I don't have an office. I don't have a desk. My phone is my office. I don't, I don't have the complex burdens of managing because my good people are managing and operating the company. But what I do is I'm constantly um, reading and constantly writing and constantly to storytelling. That's really my job as a CEO is I can lead by knowing what's going on from on high. And then by asking the right questions, I can get, that's where we need. What book would you recommend, Ron? Well, it's not a healthcare book, but it's, there's five of them that changed my life. But this one is meaning called the meaning of life 
and it's been around for 40 years. And it, uh, it basically teaches you that life is whatever you make it. It's not. Who's the uh, author? Victor, Victor Frankl. Victor oh, Frankl wow. changed psychology forever. But yeah. he, was a, he was a Holocaust survivor and he wrote it literally during his internment. He had scraps of paper and he had he learned memory tricks and he memorized the chapter one and chapter two and he would go back and practice chapter one again. But the book was written painstakingly over eight years, but then it was finally written when he had <laughs> a typewriter and time and he wasn't starving. It's an amazing book. So I've I've not read that one, but I've I've had a chance to read uh Man's Search for Meaning. Yes. Wonderful book. I just, I mean, floored by by this man's experience and and his survival uh, skill, his spirit, right? The strength of spirit. Folks, uh, take this recommendation, The Meaning of Life, Viktor Frankl. I think it's uh, uh, anything written by that man is uh, is w- something that is worth uh, uh, spending your time, investing your time to read. Uh, so appreciate that recommendation. Listeners, you could, you could get all of these resources, links to, to Ron's company, all the things that we talked about on outcomesrocket.health. And then in the search bar, just type in Beacon Clinics. You'll find the show notes, the transcript, everything that, that we're discussing here today with Ron. It's all there. So Ron, this has been fun. I'd love if you could just share a closing thought with the listeners and the uh, best way that we could uh, get in touch with or follow your work. Uh, well, anybody can email me at ron at beaconclinics.com, just like it sounds. But really, there, there is a lot of misinformation out there. And it's not, it's, it's sincere. It's coming from a good place. There are people that are struggling so hard and they're swimming upstream. They're swimming you know, without a paddle, without a boat, there's a motorboat that takes you downstream and it's a simple solution to solve not only primary care, but pretty much all that ails anything in any, any aspect of medicine, because you can start a clinical research organization site and you can have an ancillary income. Some people do side hustles and they do uh, speaking engagements or consulting. Those, those take time. Ancillaries don't take any time. They, they are recurring revenue and they run themselves essentially, as you, as you get them off the ground. So yeah, it's, I hate to keep beating that drum, but ancillary income solutions are a solution for all of healthcare. Beat the drum, Ron. That's what we're here for. So uh, folks, anything that resonated with you from this podcast, hit rewind, re-listen, reach out to Ron, ultimately take action because that's what's going to help you improve outcomes. So Ron, just want to say thanks again for, for spending time with us. Yes, I enjoyed it all. Thank you for your service you're doing. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.